So as you might know, if you've been here for the last few weeks, we've been looking this term at the stories of creation in the early chapters of the book of Genesis. And these are some of the best known stories and characters in the Bible. And maybe that's partly because this is the first bit of the Bible. So if you start reading there, you'll get through at least a few of these before you get tired of it and stop. But um, the stories are also... They'll be looking at very iconic stories and their symbols and names that are really woven into our culture or Western culture in particular in very deep ways. So people know these characters. And so over the last four weeks, we've seen uh, the start of Genesis is really intended to be a, a description of what our world is like and where our world has come from. And I think this part of the Bible is really designed as a sort of prologue to the Bible to introduce the setting for the big story of the Bible, which is really about the relationship between God and God's people in his world. And so the goal of this first 11 or so chapters of Genesis is that at the end of that section, you'll be kind of arriving at you know, the world as it is today or the world as it was three or 4,000 years ago when this was written. You know, here we are in the world we live in and how do we understand the challenges of living in that world as people with faith in God? So I think that's the purpose of this part of the Bible. And so in Genesis chapter 1, we read about the creation of the world. Um, And as we saw that week, the story in Genesis 1 describes the cosmos that we're in as if it were a temple, a temple that has been formed for God's presence, you know, a place of goodness, a place of beauty. And in chapter 2, then, you consider human beings and our place in this temple, and we see, you know, we've been put here to be reflections of God's image, stewards of creation, um, living in relationship with God, with each other, and in relationship with this world in which we've been placed. Then in chapter 3 of Genesis, we considered sort of the human condition. Who are we in the world? And the weakness and the failure that we see that dominates our lives and continually draws us away from God's plan for us. And that's the story of Adam and Eve. And last week, we looked at the story of Cain and Abel, which talks about the struggles that we have in our intimate relationships, the dynamics in human communities of shame, violence and destruction that come from our broken experiences in the world. And so today in in our story, I think that particular issue of a broken uh, human community reaches its conclusion uh, in a description of a complete failure and breakdown in human civilization. So that's the story of Noah. Now, most of you will have heard of Noah or know about him. I think, though, that the story of Noah and the ark is actually a very unusual one uh, when you think about it. Like, it is one of the most iconic, it's one of the most well-known stories in the Bible, and in the last decade there have been a couple of mainstream movies, actually, uh, that use that story as a basis. But I say the story of Noah is unusual because we use it in an unusual way. It's actually one of the most popular stories to find in children's Bibles, despite being an incredibly bleak story indeed. Um, that's largely, I think, because there's a lot of animals in it and we can talk about them. <laughs> um, and it's, sort of, it's, a, it's a fun story to talk about that way, um, the animals and their place on the ark. And it makes it very easy to focus on that part of the story, but downplaying the reason why is this ark existing in the first place in that story. Because this is actually a story that describes really the destruction of the human world. So it's not a cheerful story, I think. Um, But the setup for the story of Noah is we're told that after their exile from the Garden of Eden, the descendants of Adam and Eve, they multiply and they spread throughout the world. And as we saw last week in the story of Cain and Abel, the violence is baked into the relationships between humans and 
their brokenness. And over time, the descendants of Cain and Adam and Eve, and, um, they continue their bad lifestyles, it says. They become more and more corrupt and more and more violent uh, to the point where God decides to intervene in a very dramatic way uh, to stop this downward spiral that humanity has gotten in. So God says there's going to be a flood and it's going to wipe the earth clean of all people. But out of this flood, he's going to pick one man, Noah, who's the only blameless man in the world and his family, to be saved, along with the animals that he's going to take with him. So, as I said, it's a very bleak story, isn't it? And it's, and it's a story that raises some questions for us about the purposes of God and um, how he's portrayed in the Bible, because that kind of destruction seems at odds with God, the creator that we've read about, who cares about this world that he's made. And so that kind of destruction and judgment, um, we need to explain further what that might mean or why this is here. Now, as always, the question arises when we read the early stories in the book of Genesis as to whether these stories actually happened in history and whether we're meant to understand that. Uh, so the question, you know, you might ask, was there actually a time in history when a, there was a gigantic flood that wiped out the human race or but, um, and did someone called Noah actually build an ark uh, to survive it and put in all but, or, you know, two of every animal? Uh, now, it's an interesting question to consider, and people have tried to figure out whether that might have happened. Um, there's actually a lot of stories they find in many cultures around the Middle East um, about a great flood, things that are very similar to Noah. There seems to be something behind this. And archaeologically, people say there is evidence, I think, that there has been in that area of the world um, around the end of the Ice Age, you know, in the prehistoric period, there were some floods um, in that time that they found evidence of. And it might, I think it probably might have, if this didn't happen, it, might, it, might, it was probably prompted by some of those kinds of events for people to write these stories about it. But I think why is this, you've got to ask why is this story in the Bible then? I think the story of Noah in the Bible, it really represents an interpretation of this kind of disasters, you know, these great floods, by people asking, what does this tell us about our own place in the world and our relationship to God and how we understand the way he deals with us? So, you know, why did this story end up in Genesis in this place? I think that um, what it does in this part of the Bible is it shows very clearly the understanding that uh, God's people have that um, there's an intimate relationship between humanity and God and the world in which we live, which is a balance. And it highlights the importance of our place in the world and the effect that we can have on it. Because the story of Noah is actually a, is essentially a story about God's creation being undone in part by human sin. So I'll say that again. I think the story of Noah is a story essentially about God's creation being undone or degraded by human sin. And so the world that we know that we see in Genesis is made. There's a kind of balance in mind and ecology between God, humanity and the world he's put us in. And human sin upsets that balance and causes disharmony in creation. And I think that when we think about this story, one thing to understand is that in the Bible, the image of water and the sea and deep waters in particular very often are a symbol of chaos or things that are opposed to God. Um, the people of Israel were not seafarers. They didn't build boats, really. They didn't go out into the ocean a lot. And so for them, uh, deep waters were a place of fear. They were a place to be afraid of or to be worried about. And these were the sea monsters lurk and things that will take you down into the dark depths. And so in the Bible, a rising water and the water that floods is actually a symbol of the order and stability of the world being overtaken by chaos. 
So if you go back to Genesis 1, we can see this, that in the creation story we hear that God builds a dome of the sky to separate the water and to stop the water of the deep from getting in so that life can exist on earth. And then he raises up the land of the earth from the waters below so that we can live on it. And so the world by God in that story is formed by being raised out of water, out of this sort of nothingness, out of formlessness into order. And in the story of Noah then, if you read it, you can see everything then is reversed in, the, in that order. So the heavens are opened and the waters come back in and they uh, submerge the land again under the sea. So you can see it's a reversal. It's in creation is returned to an unformed state in this story. And there's a symbol there. So I would say that in terms of its meaning in the Bible, the story of Noah is really about our world, our cosmos. There's a kind of ecosystem that we exist in. And we're being aware that our life as human beings, the spiritual reality that we have, actually is important to the balance of the world. God takes an interest in the way we live and actually we affect the world that he's put us in as stewards. And so a violent, degraded society, as they described in the time of Noah, actually brings judgment on itself and brings destruction to creation as well and brings it back to the state it was before it was formed. And I, you know, I think that's actually a type of conversation that we're actually quite familiar with today to talk about those kinds of issues. You don't have to go beyond the daily news to hear a lot of talk about the fear that many people have of the possibility that due to our neglect of the world, environment in particular, we may soon be swamped by rising sea levels that will wash away much of what we've built, much of what we've made. Um, and that our societies are going to degrade due to the chaos and the violence inside them. So we actually do talk about these same issues that Noah talks about today. You know, and we know that no matter how much toilet paper we buy, you, start, you can't actually always avoid disaster and chaos. Maybe you can make it into a raft. I don't know if that would work. It might get a bit soggy. But, I, you know, hey, I don't judge. You know, if that's what you're doing, great. Well done. Um, but, you know, so we understand these feelings and this issue. And whether or not we, you believe in climate change or whether the sea's going to rise, um, we are actually all are, I think, aware more and more as time goes on, that we, as human beings we have a place within our world, the, the system of our world in our environment, and the, we are aware of the effect that our actions can have on that. And I think this is one of the things that this te text is talking about. And we're also aware of the fragility of our civilization. You know, it doesn't take much to bring us back down to nothing again, no matter how strongly we build it up. And that's something that will come up again in the, the Tower of Babel. You know, a very small thing, a virus, something that you can't even see, can bring so many of our plans and prosperity down to nothing, can't that? It's not, it's, chaos can overtake us at any time. Um, so I think that's one of the things, that's one, a lot of what the, the story of Noah is talking about. But it's not, but I don't want to say, it's not actually really, I think, that the story of Noah is about judgment and disaster in that way. I think, despite what I said about Noah being a bleak story, in fact, I think the reason it's in the Bible is because the Bible isn't a bleak book. The Bible actually has a book of hope. And the central message of Noah is not about destruction. It's not about judgment. It's about the hope and mercy of God and how what he does in these waters of chaos. So for the rest of the sermon, I want to do something a bit different. Rather than talking more about Noah and his story, because we're going to talk more about that next week, I just want to talk more about these ideas we've talked about, about um, creation, the water, the flood, and about the mercy of God, about the ark. And what are some of the ways that the Bible helps us to understand these more deeply? So let's think about the idea of the flood, which Noah talks about. So what does it mean? What is it actually like to be caught in a flood? What is a flood like? Has anyone here ever been uh, caught up in a flood situation? 
Yeah, a few people, a few people have. Yes, I remember when Toowoomba got flooded a few years ago, Lex, yeah. Um, so I never have, but we know, we've all seen probably images of what this is like, if you haven't been in it, you know. The features of the flood you see, a flood is something that is relentless, so the waters very quickly often rise and rise and rise, and they finally overtake us and they just wash everything away in their path. They destroy what we have or they drown us, take away life very quickly. So I think the, the flood is actually a really perfect symbol of the experience that almost all of us have of the times when you lose control over your life and the forces around us that are hostile to us or which we unleash through our failure, they kind of overtake us. And in the Bible, that's a metaphor that's quite often used of the flood. So I want to read to you some passages from Psalm 69, and we're going to listen to that later. But it says, the writer of the psalm says, Save me, O God. For the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I am worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. Those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs of my head. Many are my enemies without cause and those who seek to destroy me. And he goes on later to say, but I pray to you, Lord, in the time of your favour, in your great love, O God, answer me with your sure salvation. Rescue me from the mire, do not let me sink. Deliver me from those who hate me from the deep waters. Don't let floodwaters engulf me, or the depths swallow me up, or the pit close its mouth over me. So you can see, it's the image here, the flood. And the writer of the psalm is actually someone who's in the middle of a flood. But the, for him, his enemies are a flood. They're surrounding him. His troubles are like a flood that's rising up. And you can hear he says, it's, it's rising up to my neck. You know, we say, I'm just keeping my head above water. That's exactly what he's saying. And we know that feeling. Um, have you ever felt that way? I'm, I'm sort of just waiting. Maybe, you know, it's a little more and I'll go under. Um, and if you do know that feeling, I think the story of Noah is, an, is a description of that situation for all of us. Um, the experience of the flood, you know, the world is falling into chaos and there's nothing that we can do to save us. And this is why I think it's put there, and I think this is, we, we learn in this that actually it's God who is the saviour, who we cry out to him, and he is the one who, who provides salvation for people in the flood. Um, and so the flood waters is a symbol that goes throughout the Bible, and I think this experience of the flood, it casts light on some of the things that Jesus did, and so I want to share with you a story about Jesus and his disciples in the storm, and why, we, why that story is in uh, the Gospel. So we look at Mark chapter 4, verse 35 to 41. Now I'm going to read to you a story from uh, the lost sheep. So those who, this is a children's story, those who are around who want to have a little, follow along as well. Um, because this is a story of Jesus in the midst of this similar experience. So have we got that, Adam? Thank you. All right. So I'm going to read this out. So here's the story. It says, come on, says Jesus. That's enough work for today. Let's sail to the other side. So Jesus and the disciples hopped into the boat. The wind whispered, the waves waved, the disciples set the sails. And Jesus stretched and yawned. Yawn, yes. The wind whooshed, the waves whipped, the disciples strained against the storm, and Jesus sank into a deep sleep. The wind wailed, the waves went wild, the disciples screamed. Can I have a scream, please? Yes, thank you. Oh, I know some of you can scream louder than that, but that's all right. So Jesus snored. Yeah, thank you. So 
The disciple says, wake up, Jesus, we're going to die. Jesus leapt to the deck. Wind, hold your breath. Down waves, down, don't even wiggle. Storm, stop. And the sea and the sky were still. Why the fear, asked Jesus, where is your faith? But the disciples were ten times as terrified. (laughs) Who is this, they whispered. Who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So what does that story mean? Well, it says that Je- I think it's telling us that Jesus says his power over the wind and the waves is actually a story about the power of God in creation through him. The power over the flood, the power over the deep waters that are going around. And it's an encouragement to us, I think, that we're called to have faith in God's power. And Noah, and I think the faith of Noah in the midst of his flood is an example for us. Trusting God in his, in his uh, control and power in these situations. You know, chaos is swirling around, literally in this case, or figuratively in the rest of our lives. And the wind and the waves are rising. These disciples are worried. They are going to be drowned. But uh, with Jesus in the boat with them, they find that they're safe. Okay? So Jesus continues this story of God's power over the flood. And, of course, he's in the boat, and the, but the story of Noah has its own boat, don't, doesn't it? The ark. So we heard in the story uh, that Anton read the dimensions of the ark and its building. Thank you for giving us metric. We always appreciate that. Um, so what's the ark about? Why is it in this story? You know, It is a boat, but I think in the story it's meant to be more than a lifeboat. It's not just um, a place that people go to be safe. The ark in the story of Noah is like a sanctuary or a snapshot of creation as it exists at the time. You know, It's something to be preserved through the flood. Okay, So the ark is like a preservation of creation as it was at the time. So the waters are going to rise and everything's going to be washed away. But inside the ark, God says, well, all these things that have been made, the animals and humans together, are safe and they're going to come through to the other side. Um, the ark is like a mini world that's going to go on through this flood when the creation goes back to what it was. And so the story, is, I think, is affirming for us that, for, that creation, including human beings, is a very precious thing to God, which he protects, which he has a care for, even though we experience judgment, as we do, and the flood comes up and things go wrong. As long as we're within God's purposes of creation, there's still hope for us, not through our own power, but through God's grace. And so Noah and his family go into that flood with the confidence that on the other side there's going to be a new creation and God will make things again for them. I want to share you with you a, just a, sh- a wonderful image of this that helps us to understand what the ark might be. I found this story a few weeks ago. I'm going to, we're going to show the short version uh, today. Thanks. I might look at the long one later. So just watch this video for a minute, then I'll explain what it's about.
So as it says, just a quick story, it's about these things they call the church forests of Ethiopia, and there's a lot of interesting things behind about what, what's happening with those at the moment. But as you saw, in, in this part of, the, of Ethiopia, churches in the country regions, they're often surrounded by a small uh, forest area. It's part of their worship space, and it's a symbol of like the Garden of Eden and God's uh, presence with these people. And in the past century, you can see a lot of the forests around those areas have actually been cut down for wood and for agriculture and apart from these church forests and there's a lot of devastation because of that. And I showed you that because I actually think that the forests in that picture um, are really a beautiful image of what the ark is actually meant to be symbolising in the story of Noah, you know. That's a special place set apart from God to, to preserve his creation, you know. So in those forests, you know, animals and birds are sheltered, people can come to be with God and the plants are maintained. And hopefully on the other side of this season when people learn more about how to look after the land, um, new life and growth can come from the forests that are preserved. So I think that those particular forests, they're like thousands of arcs all over that country where the creation and in, in the way it should be is being preserved through, uh, by God's grace. And I think that's a truthful picture of the story of Noah and its significance for us, that's saying that creation and the lives we live in, it they're always being threatened by destruction, they're always being threatened by forces that are against it, um, and we're part of that too. You know, we, are, we participate in breaking things down, um, and the violence and the greed that we have is devastating the world and continues to do so. And there is a judgment in that, you know, and it, it does actually affect, the, you know, there's, a, there's floods, there's devastation, there's fires, we know very well, um, and all those sorts of things. But God's intention from the beginning of creation is to carry us through those kind of experiences into new creation and to preserve what, what he's given us. And so the ark isn't just a boat, it's actually a symbol that God carries our life and our hope through destruction and through death into, the new, into his new world. Um, and he did that back in the great floods of ancient times, you know, the time of Noah, but he's still doing that today. And I think that's an example of these, this, the way the ark operates now. And I also included that story because it's a fantastic practical example of the influence the church can have on transformation of the world around it um, when we're concerned to seek the presence of God and allow that to influence how we treat creation. Um, and I wonder how, that, how we could express that kind of influence here in Emerald around our own church. So maybe if you have some thoughts about that, that'd be great. Um, so the ark, though, is a symbol of humans in creation being saved through the flood from destruction by the grace of God. And that's why the ark doesn't, that's not the last we hear of the ark in the Bible. It turns up again in the New Testament as a symbol for what it means to follow Jesus through baptism. So I'm going to read for to you from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 to 22. Some of it's on the screen here. So Peter says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah, while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water, and this water symbolises baptism, that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand. So Peter's saying that the ark is actually a symbol for us now of our life with Jesus. So when, he says when you get baptised, it is sort of like going through the flood and getting into the ark with Jesus. Um, putting our faith in him, he's going to bring us through to the other side. Um, it's like being submerged in the waters of the flood, but we actually come out alive as Noah did. And Jesus is the ark. Jesus is the ark. Creation and life is carried through the sin and death by him. 
And so, and there's new life on the other side with the resurrection. So that's some place to get into, into the ark. And so the water, because then when, when you do that, the water we go through, it's not just about um, something to be afraid of, but it's actually something that makes us clean before God because we're purified through going through that with him as we follow Jesus in his death and resurrection. And we're going to use this image of water in a moment to help us think about our own need for cleansing uh, of, by God's power through Jesus. So I think you can see the story of Noah. There's a lot in there, isn't there? Water, arcs, floods. You can meditate on that for quite a while. But I think in the end, the story of Noah is a story of hope. Um, yes, the world may be going downhill and creation around us might be seeming to come undone and we might actually be part of that. Floods happening, rising waters, virus pandemics, all the things that you know, we worry about, yes. But God's creation, creative forces are actually stronger than the forces of chaos and they will prevail. And no matter how strong and overwhelming the flood, Jesus is that point there, the still point in the storm. He doesn't, he's not afraid. Um, and so there's room in the ark for all of us to be carried through on the other side. And so we just need to actually step aboard through faith. I think that's what Jesus is calling us to do today. I just want to pray as we think about that, then we're going to pray a bit more as um, Andrew comes to lead us in that time. We thank you, Lord, for this story of Noah, for the way that he trusted in you. And we thank you for our own experience of uh, being safe, being held by you through floods, being called to a new life on the other side. And we thank you that Christ has brought us through. Pray that all of us would understand what it means to be part of your creation, to uh, stand against the things that break it apart, and to be part of your new life. And so we pray that you would put it in our hearts how we can do that as we go out into the world today. In Jesus' name. Amen.